Are you glad you're here today? Did you like that last song? I mean, that's becoming one of my favorite songs, Storm the Walls. I love that song. All right, good stuff. Uh, you, you already heard uh, Luke was out here telling you about how you can represent grace. We're trying to do a push leading up to the fall. So we got the signs going at the entrances. You've heard that. And the window stickers, if you want to put one on your car, the T-shirts that are over it. All this stuff. It's all for a purpose. And we want you to jump in with us, if you will. We are in a series called Sola. And really, these are five truths that are the essence of the gospel. And they actually came to define the Reformation that happened in the 1500s. But these were always truths that were held by Christians before that. And do we, we remember, we're ready for the test, right? Okay. According to... We are saved by... Through, in, for, everybody kind of, you know, that last, that's great. You guys did great. Uh, First service did the same thing, you know, it's just that that ending, yeah. Yeah, so again, don't want to overemphasize this, but a lot of people consider he's coming out of the Reformation. Uh, That was actually kind of figured out a little bit later that they were actually packaged together this way or in a sentence like we just said. And remember the Reformation just when Martin Luther, a Catholic priest in Germany, he is not happy about some things going on in the Catholic church. So he, he puts a public challenge Uh, nails it on the door. It was an invitation to open debate. He really never intended to split up the Catholic Church. It was really he wanted to debate the corruption in the Catholic Church because they were selling indulgences and and doing some things. But because that happened after the, you know, about 80 years or whatever after the printing press was invented, that just opened the floodgates because people had access to scripture and they started realizing that according to the Bible, the Catholic Church was doing a lot of things that wasn't lining up. And so the floodgates opened, that led to a huge controversy. And then out of that became a bunch of Christian churches that were not Catholic. But just a reminder, there were always Christian churches in existence that did not submit to Rome. And so that's kind of what's going on. And today, the truth that we're talking about is sola fide or faith alone. Faith alone. That's, That's where we're at. And this is a key point of difference between biblical Christianity and Catholics or Protestants and Catholic also. And then also a point of difference between Christianity and every other religion. Faith alone. Are we saved just through faith or do we have faith and part of that is doing things uh, usually in a church kind of a context. So that's what's going on. The Bible says that when we come to faith, not only are we forgiven of our sins, but we are declared righteous before God, which is a biblical concept called justification. And, on the, and we're justified or we're declared righteous before God on the basis of faith alone, not by works. And so this faith alone creates a dividing line between biblical Christianity and every other religion. 
all other religions are based on some sort of human merit, human achievement, but Christianity is not. And so the Bible says we can't be saved by anything that we do as far as works. We can't earn it in any way. It's only by God's grace, which means it's a gift, and we can only receive it through faith. This last week, I was out of town. I was in Indiana at a pastor's conference. And as I was driving over there, it got evening, and I was really hungry because I hadn't had much for lunch. And uh, I went by a sign that brought me hope, Texas Roadhouse. And I'm like, oh, Texas Roadhouse, I could do that. And so I stopped at Texas Roadhouse. I'd never been there by myself eating before. And so I went in, because I wondered if they had seen us. They, they got me a seat. And I'm sitting in there, and then I noticed sitting near me is another guy who was eating by himself. His name was Amit. And Amit struck up a conversation with me. And so we start talking about his job, and I'm asking us a question. We're talking a little bit. And then you know what's going to happen next. He's going to ask, right? What do you do? And then I tell him, I'm a pastor. I kid you not, here are the next words out of his mouth. You're a pastor. He says, great, I've always wanted to know the story of Jesus. Could you tell me? That's what he said, you know. I mean, I I kid you not, that's what came out of his mouth. And then I said, well, no, I'm eating right now. I really rather not. You know, so I, I, would, I don't want to do that. But no, so I did, I did not say that. So I said, yeah, here's what I told him. I said, I will not only tell you the story of Jesus, I'll tell you the story of the whole Bible that leads up to the story of Jesus, and that'll help you better understand. He said, great, I would love to hear it. And so, boom, I'm into it. It's just stuff you guys have all heard before. You know, kind of what we should all be able to share with other people, just to put it in a capsulation. Hey, God created us, created us with free will to choose or or not choose to follow him. We didn't. And uh, the world was a mess. God finally judged the world with the flood. And that all happened. And then after the flood, the, the world came back to be repopulated. And then people kept drifting from God and then called... God called this one guy named Abraham and he told, hey, I want you to go to this promised land and live there, a place you haven't been before. And he said, hey, through you, through Abraham, all the world will be blessed. And Abraham, he does that. And then after he goes to the promised land, his grandson Jacob has 12 sons and that's where the 12 tribes of Israel come from. And they're there and their family's about 75 people at this point, but there's a famine in the land and they end up in Egypt And and at first that's good, but later that turns bad because they're enslaved. And then although the Hebrew people keep growing in number, they're enslaved by Egypt. Then when Egypt realized, hey, these numbers are getting kind of big, he starts instituting some population control and he's killing male children of the Hebrews. And because of that, this one baby's born called Moses and they float him down the Nile. And then it turns out that somebody in Pharaoh's household finds him and she raises him. And then all of a sudden, Moses grows up in Pharaoh's household. He's sympathetic to Jewish people because he knows he's Hebrew. And then because of that, he ends up in bad favor with Pharaoh and he has to flee and he ends up going to the desert, which is the Negev, and he hangs out there and becomes a shepherd. But then God comes to him and says, hey, I want you to go back to Egypt 
Moses and deliver my people. So Moses goes back and he confronts Pharaoh and, they, and Pharaoh doesn't want to do it. And so they have, you know, there's a power struggle going on. God brings the plagues to convince Pharaoh. Pharaoh still doesn't do it. It ends with one really bad plague, which was God said judgment will come on all the people. And the way this is going to happen, because you're guilty, the firstborn male of every child, sort of as a representative of that family, the firstborn male in every household is going to die. And although a lot of the plagues the Hebrew people had been exempted from, this one, he says, no, it's everybody. The only way you're going to be exempted is if you kill a lamb and take its blood and put it on the doorpost above your house. And so then when judgment comes, the destroyer comes through and he will pass over those houses because everybody's guilty. And so that happens. After that, the Hebrew people leave. They cross the, the, uh, the Nile and they come out to the desert. And it's there that Moses receives the law of God. God tells him, hey, here's who I am, and here is the law. Here's the right and the wrong of it. But because we couldn't keep the law, God also gave us a sacrificial system to where we could, the Hebrew people could periodically kill lambs to be reminded of the seriousness of sin and, and make a sacrifice that would temporarily cover their sins before God. So they're in the desert, then they decide to go into the promised land. It's time to do that. Moses dies, they cross over, they conquer the promised land. And God says, not only am I doing that to give you the land I promised, but I'm also doing that to judge the nations who are here who have been doing child sacrifice and everything else. They go into the promised land. After that, they keep drifting from God. God keeps raising up random leaders. Those are called judges. And then the people want a king. God raises up a king. The second king is David. And, and David is the greatest king. And then God says, hey, it's through this line of David, through his children, through his line of descendants, that the Messiah will come. Well, then after that, uh, Solomon and then his, his son, the kingdom breaks up and there's a northern and a southern Judah and northern kingdom and they keep drifting from God. And they have a bunch of kings. Most of them are not good. And then finally, God judges both nations by bringing in different times, people conquering them and taking the people into exile. One time they're brought into exile and then they're released back. They return, they rebuild the temple, they're hanging out. And then that's the time of the prophets. The prophets keep pointing people back to God. And they keep saying, hey, the Messiah is going to come because we're dominated by others. There's going to be a day when the Messiah comes and saves us. And then Jesus was born. And then the last prophet, John, was there to see Jesus, and he points to Jesus, he is the Lamb of God. John is killed. Jesus begins a brief three-year public ministry. At the end of that, he goes into Jerusalem. And as he comes in, he's there to celebrate Passover, what happened back in Egypt. And when he celebrates Passover, he explains to his followers, his 12 disciples, that he's going to be killed and that his death is going to bring in a new way of relating to God, a new covenant, a new system, a new way to connect with God. And sure enough, right after that, the next day, Jesus is killed. He's crucified. Three days later, he comes back to life. He spends 
proving that everything he said was true. He spends another 40 days or so. He ascends into heaven. The apostles take over, and that's the beginning of the church. And so, as I'm explaining all this, he's, Amit is asking a lot of, he's very engaged. He's not tuning out like some of you guys. He really stayed tuned in. He was engaged. He's asking questions. He's asking questions about judgment and sin. He believes in sin, but how can God forgive and all these things? And it's just great. And this conversation goes, and then, um, then the, we pay our bills and the conversation spills out in the parking lot. And so we're at the parking lot. And then I know as he's talking, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this conversation's about to end. You know, how do I end this conversation? Because I will probably never see him again. And, and I don't know how you'd end it, but I'll get back to that later. But anyway, because I'm thinking, I need to end this in some way to point him to faith in Jesus. Faith alone. That's the key. And so... As we think about that, I want us to reflect on faith. How do, how do we explain it? What is faith? So I want to answer three, kind of four, but four basic questions about faith. And the first question is simply, what is faith? What is faith? And I want to answer that with three things. First of all, two, it's believing and trusting. Actually, there's a place in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where faith is defined for us. And so I want us to see that. Hebrews 11, uh, beginning of verse 1, it just says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now there's two key words there explaining faith. Assurance and conviction. And in a lot of translations, those people translate those words a little differently because it's really hard to nail them down. But first of all, assurance. Assurance is believing in the reality of things hoped for. And hope in the Bible is not the way we think of hope. Uh, today, we think of hope like uh, some of you were watching Jake shoot, and we were watching him, uh, when was that, Thursday night or whatever, during the night, and so we're hoping that he wins. That's, that's how we use hope, and, and then he was to the final 16, and then he lost shooting against the, other, the only other guy left from the USA team. And so that's, that's how that goes, and we know that's a possibility. And the Bible hope is what you know is gonna happen. So he's saying assurance that's believing in the reality of what you know is going to happen. And then the other word, conviction. Conviction of things not seen. Conviction is trusting in the reality of things you can't see. That you know there's things that exist that you can't see. Of course, it's related to scriptural truth. But besides so what is faith? Besides believing and trusting, faith is something else that a lot of times we forget. Faith is also thinking. Faith is also thinking. Many see faith as opposed to thinking, but faith actually requires thinking. The reason there's not much faith today is because there's not much thinking today. 
That's kind of what's going on. We see that a couple verses later in Hebrews 11.3. Here's what it says. By faith, we understand, that's the thinking, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. This is that us knowing the reality of things we can't see. Faith is connected to reason here. Faith is connected to understanding here. Thinking leads to faith, and actually, faith leads to further thinking. It's not apart from that. But tragically, we go through life basically operating on feeling way more than thinking. If, you know, I mentioned Texas Roadhouse. Well, when I go to Texas Roadhouse, I feel like eating six rolls and, and drinking two Dr. Peppers before my meal even comes to me is not going to hurt me. But I could be wrong about that. It could kill me. You know, who knows? We feel things, but sometimes we don't think. We need to do more thinking than feeling. If, think of it this way. If God exists, if God exists, then the universe and our ability to think objectively, our ability to reason, think about the world around us, that all makes sense if God exists. But if God doesn't exist, then there's no explanation for the universe. Science can't prove how the universe came to be. The existence of life has no explanation. We can't do that. So where did that come from? It's all that stuff. Because science, and I'm not downing science, science Pure science is just finding out the cause, the reason things happen. And you do that by, you think you may know the reason, so then you posit a theory, and then you set about with experiments by proving it, by reproducing it over and over and over. And when you do that, then you're confident, oh, this is the way it is. But if you can't prove it, if you can't show it, then that's, that's not scientific truth. It's philosophy. But anyway, so Christianity gives us the best explanation of the universe, even though the cause is beyond naturalism. Every other way of explaining the universe is more problematic than Christianity. Here's what I'm saying. Doubt and unbelief is not because of too much thinking. Doubt and unbelief is a result of too little thinking. So not only is faith, believing and trusting, it also requires thinking. Next question, who should our faith be in? Now, if I'm, I'm asking you, who should our faith be in? Uh, and I'll just give you a little hint here. If you're asked a question in church, if you just shout out Jesus, you're right like half the time. So who should our faith be in? You got it, all right. So I'm not really gonna go into that because that's actually what we're gonna talk about next time, all right? It's grace alone, meaning it's a total gift, our salvation is, and we get that gift through faith alone in Jesus. There's no other person to have faith in, just Jesus, but we'll talk about that next time. So if faith, if, if that's the what is faith and that's the who our faith should be in, then the third question, and there's only four of these, is why do we need faith alone? Why is it so important? Why do we need it? Well, this may be 
It may be the most important question in all of Christian theology. Because this question is a key difference. This is coming down to that difference between Christianity and other religious systems. Is salvation, our salvation, by faith alone, or is it by faith that somehow expresses itself in works or is combined to works or you know, is part of a religious system of works? Is it by faith alone or faith plus works? Am I saved by just believing in Jesus or do I have to believe in Jesus and do certain things? That's a huge question. Why is it important? Because faith alone, scripture says, is the only way that we can receive God's grace. Faith alone is the only way we can receive God's gift to us. All other religions are based on human achievement, humans doing something. And, you know, at the time of the Reformation, you know, what's going on there is that the the Catholic Church had drifted to, to teaching a system like that. And so they had abandoned what Paul taught. And so I want us to come back to that. Now, there's a lot of places you could do that. You can go to Romans, you can go to Galatians, which the whole book is basically about that. But I wanna just go to a simple couple of verses that Mike shared with us last Sunday, that easy to remember. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, meaning a gift, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, the thing about this verse that trips people up is, it says, you know, salvation comes by grace through faith. But then when it says, by grace you have been saved, by, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. The question is, what's the that talking about? Because some people make a big point to say, the that is talking about the faith, so even the faith is actually a gift. But really, when you look at the words, that's not the best explanation. The that really is pointing back to the salvation, the gift. By grace you have been saved through faith, the process of that. So we can't earn it by good works or religious ritual. It's a gift and we only get it through faith. So faith alone, why is it important? Because faith alone is the only way. The second reason that faith alone is important is because that's how we please God. Remember Hebrews 11.1, I read earlier, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The next verse that I skipped when I went to verse three says, for by it the men of old gained approval. God likes faith. And then a few verses later in verse six, he says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. When we combine that with chapter three, the first three verses that we're realizing, hey, our thinking kind of leads us to realize that there is a God, that there is a creator. We can look around that and figure that out. 
without knowing anything about Christianity. So God's revealed himself in that way, but more specifically through the Bible and through the life of Christ. But just logically, we can figure out, okay, there's a designer, and if the designer has made me rational and capable of relationship, then he must want relationship with me. So it all kind of fits. God is personal, and that if he's personal, then we should want to connect with him. When we can connect with him, we should want to please him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because we must first believe that he exists and that he wants to connect with us personally. So if that's the what is faith and who is faith in and why we should have it, the last question is this. How? How do we exercise faith alone? I mean, this is the key. How do we exercise faith alone? Well, the main thing is the alone part. That we have faith in God and then it's separated from our works. It's not mixed in with something that we physically do. If you add any, Mike talked about grace last week, a gift. If you add anything to grace, then it's not grace anymore. It's not a gift anymore. And with faith, it's the same thing. If you add anything in your faith, then it's not faith alone, and it's really destroyed the biblical faith that leads to salvation. And so, whatever is added to faith then becomes a work or a good work or a religious work that somehow contributes to our ability to be saved by God. And really, this makes logical sense. If you're in a Christian church, and then they say, well, you're saved by faith, but part of faith is that you're doing these good things. Here's the problem with that. When we, when, if we're doing good things so that God will accept us and say, let us into heaven, then the good things that we're doing are actually selfish. Because, yeah, we're helping people, but why are we helping them? To help us. So we get to go to heaven. It's only when you understand that salvation is through faith alone that you are freed up to do good things and know that you're not earning salvation by doing them. So then you're freed up to do good things for selfless reasons. You're helping people to help the people. Because God wants you to do that. But it's not a matter of whether you're saved or not. It doesn't earn you any salvation. So it can't be combined with work. How do we do it? Well, don't, you got to keep work out of it. And then faith is putting our trust in Jesus alone. And it's, I don't want to make it sound more complicated than it is. It's easy to do that. So basically, I just want to share you just a typical story of somebody putting their faith in Jesus This is Aaron Jones. My name's Aaron. I grew up in the Tiffin area. Um, Loved my family, loved my friends. Had a great childhood growing up. Life was perfect and then my mother passed um, at a young age and I felt like God had taken her from me. I was very angry, very hurt. Continued to go through adulthood which I felt alone. And then three years ago, my best friend and his entire family die in a house fire. And my anger went absolutely through the roof. 
Um, I pushed God away even further and I just felt absolutely alone. So Grace Community Church opens in Tiffin, Ohio. Uh, my wife uh, chooses to come and comes every Sunday uh, and invites me every Sunday. And I say no because I was a little bit afraid, a little bit nervous. Um, and my wife had already dedicated her life to Christ and took the next step of baptism um, and of course invited me. I could not turn that invite down. I came, I listened to the message, and I've been coming ever since. My wife Tracy and I talk about the services every week, um, several times a week in fact, and I continue to come back and every week Tracy and I discuss the services and then we started a series on Job. Job went through so much uh, and I could relate. I could relate to him and I thought to myself that if Job can continue to follow God, then why can't I? So after the series on Job, I wanted to become a member. Uh, I filled out the Connect class paperwork, had a meeting with Pastor Zach and he had questioned one of my answers on am I going to heaven? And I put, I don't know. And he said, Aaron, are you all in with Jesus? And I said, I want to be. He said, all you have to do is ask for forgiveness. And I, at that point, I accepted Jesus in my life, asked for forgiveness for my sins, my anger, and I realized just my love to him, my, 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 my hope and faith in him. Since accepting Jesus Christ, I come to church every Sunday. I look forward to it. It is the a perfect ending to my week, the perfect beginning to my next week. Um, I still have had some tragedies and, and bad things happen in my life. However, I know I'm not alone anymore. I know I walk with them. I know that in the future, I'm gonna have many worst day ever. But I know, I know in my heart and in my soul, he always will walk with me. happens every day. Are you all in? Faith is being all in with Jesus. It's the way I would describe being all in is you're not hedging your bet. You're not like, well, yeah, I'll take a little of this Christianity, but if that's not right, I want to make sure I'm having a good time. Or if that's not right, I want to make sure. No, it's all in. I, I know it's hard to describe faith. A, a few um, Several weeks ago, about a month or two ago, I had a chair down here. Remember, I was standing on the chair. That's faith. And, or over the last 10 years, a couple of times, I used this guy, Charles Blondin. Do you remember him? You know, he's a tightrope walker. And in the 1800s, he was in our area. He's actually from Europe. In 1859, he crosses the Niagara River, the falls, on a tightrope. And when he would do stuff like this, I mean, hundreds of thousands, well, 25,000 to 100,000 people would show up to watch. And they watched from the banks. There was a nearby bridge. They were watching from that back in the day. And uh, they would just watch him do that. Well, after he did it once, after he walked across, then the next day he would up the ante. Like, uh, you know, one time he, he crossed over with his manager on his back. So, and, then, and so everybody's coming for something new. One time he crossed over with a wheelbarrow. 
over the Niagara River. And he, he did that. And he, one time he put like 200 pounds in the wheelbarrow. So he's doing these things. The crowd's going wild because there's always one more thing he can do. He stood on his head. He one time went halfway across, cooked an omelet and ate it. And went on, I mean, he's just, you know, and everybody's just coming to see one more thing. When he does the wheelbarrow, he crosses and, and he says, when he gets to the other side, the crowds are there. And he's like, do you think I can do it again? They're all like, yeah. And he said, well, I've done this with 200 pounds. Do you think I could do it with a man sitting in the wheelbarrow? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, who will volunteer? <laughs> nobody. I mean, nobody. It's weird because I've used this to describe faith. And, and I've, I've been rethinking that. I'm thinking maybe I'm making it too complicated. Because I think there's a lot of people sitting here, well, I put my faith in Christ. I don't know that I'm going across in a wheelbarrow with Blondin. Well, why is it? Well, you know, I mean, he's done this several times, but one of these days he's going to slip. Or, hey, I trust him. I don't trust myself. I mean, what if I get out there and I start freaking out? What if I start, you know, throwing my arms around or trying to counterbalance something? Or what if I sneeze? You know, is that going to throw it? Who knows? God's not asking you to put your faith in Charles Blondin. God's asking you to put your faith in his son who will cover your every mistake and your every sin. Who is the creator of the universe, way different than Blondin, as great as Blondin was. That's what God is asking us to do. So maybe that makes it more complicated than it should be. Back to, did you guys remember the Amit story? So back to Amit. And we're standing in the parking lot. And I realize, you know, this, this conversation is going to end. While he's talking, I'm trying to figure it out. And so, you know, what am I, I want him to have faith. And so I basically just end with, you know, Amit, you know, I don't think this is an accident. And here you are and you've heard this. But this is a message that God wants you to respond to. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here. I don't remember my exact words. But I'm saying, you need to take this step. You need to admit your sin and place your trust, all your trust, in Jesus who died for you. And you can do that in your car. You can do that, but you need to think through this because it's a decision. This is news, and we have to make a decision and it has to be during this life. There are no second chances when this life is over. And God hasn't guaranteed you another day. And so that's, and so we exchange numbers, party company. Friday, I texted Amit. I said, hey, Amit, you know, how you doing? Just wanna let you know I've been praying for you since we met every day. And uh, just wanna know, you know how you're doing? Do you have any questions or anything? And then he gave me a text back, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it basically said, don't need to pray for me, I'm good. I went home, my wife and I talked about things and religion, and we've decided that we are just going to live life as best we can and try to do good. 
And I, I had some things to respond because that kind of actually involves some stuff we talked about. So I remember, you know, one good doesn't erase a bad. And he had no problem understanding that he was a sinner. Like we all shouldn't have a problem with that. And, uh, and then that's the last contact so far. That's my fear today with you. I feel that we're doing too much feeling, <laughs> you know? That, that we just, we're confronted with a decision that we think will change our life and we wanna kinda hedge our bet. We wanna say, yeah, I believe that intellectually, but I also wanna kinda do my own thing. And so we're not all in. We're not really trusting. We, we're intellectually assenting. We're not trusting. We're not believing in that sense. And then to make us feel better about it, we think to ourselves, well, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna be better. I'm gonna do good. I'm gonna make God happy that way. You cannot do that you cannot make God happy without faith. You cannot make God pleased with you without faith. And faith is trusting in Christ and Christ alone. And so before we leave today, I want to give you that opportunity to place your trust in the God who sacrificed for you. The God who became the perfect lamb once and for all to not only cover your sin and forgive you, but also to declare you and me righteous. We're not righteous. He, de he judicially declares us as righteous. Christ gets our sin. We get Christ's righteousness. But we have to accept it through faith alone. And so right now, as you're thinking through that, I just, if you'll just think through and make sure that you've not added any good deeds or any religious things, because you ask people this all the time, here's how they answer. Why do you think you're gonna go to heaven? Well, I believe in Jesus, but they don't stop there a lot. They say, I believe in Jesus and I try to live a good life. I do this, you know, I go to church, you know, and it's like, okay, well, if that's part of it, your belief isn't right. And so I'm gonna just challenge you, invite you to, encourage you to, make sure that you've put your faith in Christ and it's a faith that stands alone without works. And if you're not sure about that, then I invite you to do that right now. It's a decision you make in your own mind and you can express that faith through God and prayer, and there's no better time to do that. So I just wanna lead you in a kind of a sample prayer. If you're putting your faith in Christ, you're not sure you've ever done that faith alone, make this your prayer, something like it, your prayer. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father God, I do understand that I have sinned against you. And I understand that my sin should be punished. 
that's the right thing. But I also have come to understand that because you love me, you've sent your one and only son, Jesus, to live a perfect life and to die for me, to pay my punishment for sin. So God, on the basis and the only basis, just because of what Jesus has done for me, I'm asking you for forgiveness because I believe that Jesus is your son, that he died and then three days later he rose again. And Father, I not only want your forgiveness, but I want to follow you in my life, not as a means of earning salvation, just because you love me. In Jesus' name. While our heads are still bowed, I'm just gonna ask this question. Because sometimes we just like to know if God you know, is connecting with people through our services at this point or not. So if you prayed that prayer, and as far as you know, this whole faith alone thing, maybe this is the first time that you've ever really caught that and you prayed sincerely something like what I just said, I would like to know that. And so our heads are bowed, but I would like you to indicate that to me. I'm not gonna track you down or anything. I would just like to know. And so now if you're on your left side of the auditorium, if, if you prayed that prayer and maybe with faith alone for the first time, I'd just like to see your hand, just raise it up where I can see it and then put it down, thanks. Just put it up and then put it right back down. And then the other side, your right hand side. I prayed that prayer, thanks, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anyone else? Hey, Kevin, I prayed that prayer. I see you, thanks. Father God, we thank you for tender hearts and your gracious spirit who draws us to you. And God, I pray that these who have indicated that they have made this decision. Lord, we pray they'd feel your presence. Lord, they'd have the joy that accompanies knowing you. And God, for the rest of us, that you would help us increase our faith and share it with others. Lord, thanks for loving us so much. Thanks for the gift that you give us. And thanks that it's only through faith that we don't ever have to wonder if we're doing enough. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.